Hello, and thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast, now available on almost any platform where podcasts can be found. What you'll most often find here is our Sunday service sermon audio, but we'll also post bits and pieces of special services, events, and other things as they pertain to the life of the church. If you'd like to know more about what's happening here at Redeemer, you can visit us online at www.redeemermn.org or join us live Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on YouTube or Facebook. Just search for Redeemer MN or Redeemer Lutheran Church and locate the blue droplet icon. We're overjoyed at this opportunity to minister to you and to walk beside you as you begin to experience what it means to be the church. Let's dive in. Well, today we're starting a new three-week series entitled Joseph, From the Pit to the Palace. You know, life is always full of twists and turns for each and every one of us. Sometimes it feels as if we're thrown into a dark pit. Maybe you saw that warning out in the comments this morning, and if you didn't, here's another warning for you right here about pits. Um, Oftentimes it feels like we can be imprisoned physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and we can't escape. And yet there are other times when life is just going grand, going great. And it's full of great joy for each and every one of us. Uh, following the life journey of Joseph, we'll be looking at some powerful lessons for navigating through life from the pit all the way to the palace. And I am going to encourage you that during these three weeks, in fact, I'm going to invite you to read Genesis 37 through 50. Today, we are actually just going to be looking at chapter 37. And if you read a chapter a day throughout the entire series, you will accomplish reading uh, chapters 37 uh, through 50. You know, there's just so much more to the life of Joseph besides just his technicolor uh, coat. So, uh, many of you know uh, Joseph ended up in a pit. But being in the pit has various timing and causes. Sometimes we can see a pit coming in the distance, or we can be warned that a pit is in our path, or we can end up in a pit without any warning of all. And no warning at all literally happened to my husband Keith this past week. Uh, I love how the Lord always gives us fresh illustrations when we're going to give a message. (laughs) As many of you know, my husband absolutely loves fishing. He literally fishes every single day. And so as he was ice fishing and walking on the Mississippi River one evening last week, suddenly, whoosh, he goes through the ice. Now, when he got home, he shared with me that he did some scrambling initially until he found out that where he was walking was only, uh, the water was only up a little above his knees. (laughs) But he didn't know that at the time when he fell into that water, into the pit. And so the day before, the place that he did go in, the ice had been 18 inches deep. And in a day, it was breakthrough ice. And isn't that how pits can happen to us? Sometimes the causes of going in the pit are unknown, and sometimes they can be associated with family of origin experiences. For Joseph, there may well have been some family behaviors that contributed to his experience. Joseph's great-grandparents were Abraham and Sarah, who waited a very long time for their son Isaac. And grandparents were Isaac and Rebekah, and they waited a long time for a child. And one of those twins born to them was Jacob. 
As life went on, Jacob feared his brother Esau was going to kill him, so he fled to his mother's brother's home, Laban. It was as <clears throat> at Laban's that he met Leah and also Rachel. Jacob soon fell in love, you know how that goes, with Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, and agreed to work for her to receive her in marriage for seven years. Laban agreed, but after seven years, he deceived Jacob. On the night that Jacob and Rachel were to be married, Laban gave Rachel's older sister Leah to him instead. Jacob protested, but Laban argued that it wasn't the custom to give the youngest daughter first in marriage. So Jacob and Leah stayed married. Laban then said Jacob could still have Rachel in exchange for working another seven years. And Jacob and Rachel were married at the end of those seven years. In fact, Jacob had four wives, but showed favoritism to Rachel and loved her more than Leah. And Rachel's first child was Joseph. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Don't you wonder if Joseph was relaying this report to his father since he was wanting to make sure that everything was done right? Or could it be that he was relaying this message since he was on the immature side for his age. It's conjecture on our part, but for sure there is another factor. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. And after all, remember, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah or those other two wives that he had. In fact, Jacob showed this love by making an ornate robe for Joseph. And the idea behind this ornate robe is a tunic that extended all the way down to his wrists and to his ankles, and it had sleeves. And that was very different than the tunics that the other brothers were wearing. In fact, they were wearing worker tunics. They were sleeveless and they were short. This robe was a garment of position, privilege, and favor. And every single time that Joseph's brothers looked at him, they saw Joseph, the one who was going to receive the birthright. This love of Joseph by Jacob was apparent to all, and the brothers' hate continued to be fueled every time they look at him, and he had that robe on. And then there were the dreams. Joseph had been given two dreams by God, one centered on sheaves of wheat and the other one on stars. And Joseph thought that both implied that his brothers at some point were going to be bowing before him. And after sharing those dreams, guess what? More fuel to the madness of his brothers. They were jealous, insanely jealous of Joseph. But his father kept those dreams in mind. The expression of the robe and the sharing of the dreams weren't the problem in the family. Joseph didn't cause the problem. He only revealed the problem that added sin to the family. The root, the root of the problem was favoritism. You know, we even see this expressed in the words in the New Testament from the book of Matthew when some of the disciples, their mother, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the mother went actually and knelt before Jesus and asked, 
Can one of my sons sit on your right and the other one sit on the left? In Jesus' kingdom, favoritism, it's real. Partiality and bias when we give preference to one person over another. You know, the Bible is very clear for each and every one of us on favoritism. From Romans 2.12, we read, for God doesn't show favoritism. Favoritism is incompatible with the character of God. And we also see in Colossians 3.25 that God teaches fairness in judgment. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. In the book of James, in chapter 2, we're also told that we are not to show favoritism. The context concerns the treatment of rich and poor in the church, and James points out that treating someone differently based on their financial status or how they dress is wrong. What about you? Have you ever or are you currently dealing with favoritism on one end or the other? I believe that this can easily happen in a family. I don't believe that parents intentionally desire and, and make a pick of favorites in their children and their family, but there are factors which enter a family system revealing favoritism. For you young families out there, do you have one child who has similar interests as you or who has a personality that is so easy to live with or a child that always follows all the rules and just makes life so much easier? It's just so easy to deal with that child or that strong-willed child who will stamp their feet and will verbalize to you on and on and on. You may not have handed them a multicolored tunic, but the family just knows who the favorite is. And even as adults, there can be a verbalization where everyone knows who the favorite is. So-and-so is the favorite, you know. And there may even be joking about who the favorite one is. And grandparents, aunties, and uncles, you're not off the hook either. If this topic is resonating with you today, I encourage you to take it to the Lord. Ask him, why is this topic of favoritism raising up a reaction in me? And what is it that he wants to say to you today about favoritism on whichever end that you are in regard to that? Favoritism is real and in our sinful humanness leads to form judgments based on a person's criteria, criteria rather than seeing them as God sees them. Favoritism and partiality aren't from God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, each and every one of us, you and me, are <clears throat> to love one another. Loving one another. It's one of the hardest things that we are called to do. And during this season of Lent, as we focus so intently on maybe those words from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and the reality of our sinfulness draw our attention for the need to take favoritism to him before it moves from hatred and jealousy into an action. In Genesis 37:20, we read, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now his brothers 
start devising a plan to kill Joseph and throw him into that pit. Brother Reuben, who is the oldest, convinces them just to throw Joseph in the pit and not kill him, since Reuben was secretly planning to return and rescue Joseph. Joseph had been, we don't always think about this, but when Jacob asked Joseph to go and look for his brothers in Shechem, they weren't there, and so he went on to Dotham. That actually was a 63-mile journey that he took to find his brothers, as his father had requested. So don't you wonder if when Joseph finally saw his brothers, he was so happy that he had finally found them that he was totally unaware of the frame of mind that his brothers were in upon his arrival. In Genesis 37, we see, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There wasn't any water in it, and they sat down to eat. What was that like for Joseph? to have somebody strip him of that robe that he had been wearing? Did the brothers experience great joy when they took that robe off of him? I'm not sure. All we do know is that Joseph was thrown in the pit. There wasn't any water, and I suspect that there was darkness. And then to top it all off, what did the brothers go and do? They went a few yards away, and they sat down, and they ate a meal. And all the while, Joseph was pleading for his life. Here he is. He's in the pit. Years later, that emotional trauma is revealed. As we read from Genesis 42, that when the brothers go to Egypt, and they aren't really sure that this is Joseph that's in front of them, they are saying to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress is coming upon us. And don't you wonder if in the pleading for his life that Joseph experienced extreme loneliness. Yes, being in the pit can trigger loneliness. Loneliness can be defined as a state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one's desires for social connection in actual experiences of it. It's a common human experience, and it doesn't matter what your age is, what social status you are, or whether you're married, single, or you're financially secure. Mother Teresa, who saw the world's most intense poverty in her lifetime, shared loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. And whether it's a feeling of being unwanted or not included, that empty feeling or desperately wanting to feel understood and accepted, loneliness just plain hurts. And in those times of pain, we forget loneliness as a feeling and not our circumstance. And circumstances and disasters can trigger loneliness, and the list is endless. It can be abandonment from a family or friend or rejection that comes from a parent. It can be conflicts and adversity at work, in your home. 
can be a transition, like a new job or the loss of a job or the birth of a child or being an empty nester or just plain growing older. Grief and loss are also filled with loneliness, and so is fear of the future. You know, I asked permission, and my son-in-law, James, gave me the permission to share about his experience of loneliness. You know, when he was a young man in his early 20s, he had a dream, and his dream was to be an air traffic controller at O'Hare in the Chicago area. And that dream began with a journey of extreme and deep loneliness. Once he finished college, the area he was assigned to was the Great Lakes region, which meant a move from Minnesota to Chicagoland. And this fresh start meant a new chapter in his life for everything and knowing no one, not a soul. And this was an extremely painful time for him. But thankfully, he was able to get out of that pit filled with loneliness. But getting out of the pit was not an easy thing. For Joseph, he got out of the pit, but then they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, who took him to Egypt. But being in the pit is a place where God is present. I don't know what pit you may be experiencing right now, but I want to remind you that being in the pit is a place where God is present. You may have been pushed into the pit by someone else's actions. You don't even know how you're going to get out of the pit, and you have an extreme awareness of Satan's desire to completely destroy you in the pit. But God is present in the pit. Say those words with me. God is present in the pit. He is. He is. So for a moment, I just want you to sit there and let these words wash over you. From Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And from Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always to the very close of the age. And from John 1, 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Remember that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. The light shining in the darkness can come when you connect with God through the word of God and prayer, and light can come to you when you are connecting with fellow believers and reaching out to other people. You know, so often you hear us say here at Redeemer, get involved in a growth group. God created you for community, and it's essential for you to have those places where you can spend time together in the word, sharing your prayer requests, and praying over each other. You know, in your life, when those trusted relationships develop, there's no end to what the Lord can do. And through us, we encourage and cheer each other on as we navigate through life, which at some point includes pits, and it includes loneliness. 
One thing, though, that I think that happens for all of us is that our natural inclination when we're lonely is to pull back and see if others will seek us out. We pull back. Maybe nobody even notices that we've pulled back. But I want to challenge you today. The next time you feel yourself pulling back, will you stop? And will you pray? And will you ask the Lord to give you the courage and the wisdom to know who to reach out and to let know that you're lonely and that you're in a pit? He will be faithful to you in finding that community. It may just be one other person, or it may be an entire group. Don't be afraid to contact Pastor Jason. I know he would love to direct you in the area of community. You know, Jesus Christ came to bring the light of God's life into all the pits that we encounter in life. He is the God that doesn't take us around, but when we're in the pit, he takes us through. And then guess what he does? He extends his hand and he lifts you up out of that pit. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are present in the pit. And even though there are different timings and various causes and loneliness that we don't understand, you're there taking us all the way through. Father, my heart cry this morning is that you would give every single individual here the assurance of your faithfulness to them in the pit. And for those that are struggling, Lord, with favoritism, being on one end or the other, I pray that you would receive that cry from them regarding that. Maybe they didn't even realize, Lord, that they were struggling with that till they heard those words this morning. Maybe they haven't realized that they've been in the pit for a long time. But Lord, you're there in the midst of it all. And one thing I would ask, Lord, for each and every one of us, that you would give us eyes and ears that know how to walk alongside those that are in the pit. And those that are in the pit, I pray that you'd give them the strength to reach out their hand as you take hold of them. In the powerful and the very precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's saints here and online said, Amen. Thank you so much once again for listening to our podcast. If you experienced something special today or connected in a special way with something that you heard, don't keep it a secret. You can reach out and share directly with one of our staff at RedeemerMN.org leadership, or you can share this episode of the podcast across your own social media. We look forward to the opportunity to connect with you. Until next time, God bless you and have a wonderful day.